Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear up there, all black and brown and covered in hair. everybody um bot lady of tarth hyphen posts on tumblr i have joining me tonight chicky hi this is chicky i'm chicken on tumblr uh yd hi this is yd and you can find me at yellow delaney on tumblr eon hi this is eon and i'm eon blue negative on tumblr and we also have guesting with us comma splice hi this is comma and you can find me on uh uh, grammar saves lives at tumblr.com. <laughs> you just gotta throw that hitch in there, don't you? <laughs> oh. So before we begin, um, just a spoiler alert for anybody who might be a new listener. Uh, we spoil everything. Um, we are discussing Brienne 8 from A Feast for Crows. Um, and if you guys remember the last chapter, it was pretty depressing. Well, we are just going to continue on with that. <laughs> this chapter <laughs> it continues to be grim right oh it's horrible yeah. it's horrible okay so we see um we open with brienne and she awakens she's slumped over the back of a horse her wrists have been tied together as are her legs and um she describes that every jostle of the horse is painful her head is pounding she's fevered and she can feel that things are broken inside of her and uh her arm is in agony. She can hear Pod calling for her, but she's kind of, you know, kind of out of it. And uh, she can't really answer him back. And then she starts having all these dreams. Um, the first dream is of Harrenhal. Um, but instead of a bear, it's Biter that she's facing. Oh, um, God. Oh, she's so awful. Not just facing, but, like, it's like he's naked in her dream. Yeah. And, like, yeah. holding his dick. Oh. Which, you know, it's, so not, it's not particularly surprising considering that the bloody mummers are always threatening to rape her. Yeah, no, I'm sure she already probably had nightmares about Biter and Rorge and all of them, but oh god. Yeah, the way they describe it, too, isn't it like he's coming at her naked and fondling himself? Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. Sure and not to mention, not only is there Biter, but there's Renly and Nimbledick and Catelyn Stark, Shagwell, Pig, and Timian. It's pretty much everybody that has died as a result of her and that she feels guilty about. She's killed them, she's maimed them somehow, or she feels responsible for their deaths and they're judging her. Yeah, yeah. all the ghosts yeah. of her past are there surrounding her. It's really quite a terrifying dream. Yeah, it is. I can't even imagine a dream being this bad. It's bad. The the crazy thing about this this chapter, for the majority of the chapter, it's it can be kind of difficult to discern what is real and what is a dream within this chapter. Yeah, I really love going in and out of consciousness. I really love how sort of beautifully interwoven George's kind of put Brienne's fever dreams and her memories and also reality. You get. There's a real sense of unease when you're reading, and it's it's disconcerting. It's really off-putting. So in that way, it's really an effective chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, it's incredibly well-written. and I, re- I admit there's a lot I don't remember the first time I read it, but I remember this chapter. 
Um, and it's very powerful the way he weaves in it just as YD just said, um, because the worst dreams that I've ever personally had are the ones that feel so real. Yeah. And I think most people feel that way, I'm guessing. So it's, it's just, you can only imagine what this character would be. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. Amazing. And we know Brienne is terrified. She, she thinks it to herself several times how scared she is about what's going on. And it's kind of like the first time, too, that we're really seeing her truly terrified, like afraid. Like she's always so brave and she's worried or concerned. But this is pure terror that she's going through during these. And it's just it makes it so hard. It's the first time we've known about it. I mean, we probably have seen her afraid in Storm of Swords. Doubtless we did. But Mm. I I think that's a good thing to keep in mind is that the the facade that she manages to put on is is tough as nails. Um, But when you get inside her head, you see just what's going on inside and, it's and here perfect. obviously her yes. defenses are weakened so it's all sort of coming out now oh yeah and speaking of things coming out she definitely calls out a name after this heron oh, she sure right. so like in in the dream um biter tears at her arm and bites her cheek and then she screams jamie yeah she sure does and we spoke about this last week didn't we about how she brian sort of views jamie in the same vein as she does Tarth as her home, as her sort of safe port in the storm. And that's something that's really reinforced throughout this chapter. You know, she she calls out for him at her time of need. She really does consider him, I guess, her protector. And that's not surprising considering he has he's acted in that role. He's saved her several times from well, you know, attempted rape, from from dying. Yeah, it, it's a moment where, you know, most people would, would would cry out the the primal screams. You know, you, you cry out for your parents and you, you might right. cry out for a deity or something and, and she's crying oh. out for Jamie. Oh, so. Yeah, and later on she does cry out for, again, Jamie, but she also cries out for her home, doesn't she? Or she, she thinks And Renly too, I think. She yeah. does, yeah. I'm going to well, cry. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, don't something... start. You'll get the rest of us started. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Eon. Uh, well, I think that was Kama. Was it Kama? Sorry. Yeah, it's me. No, um... <laughs> I was going to say, when you're dreaming, that's when you're like, all of that, all the veneer, you, all of the shields you put up during your waking hours, like the bravado, whatever you, you know, that kind of outside face you have to the world, that's all gone. In a dream, that's all stripped away. And so this is just it. This is the core that is Brienne, I think, that we're really kind of seeing. Yeah. Mixed in with, of course, you know, the fact that she's probably got infections and god knows what else going on but yeah i mean it's that's her yeah Yeah. and she's in every one of her dreams in this chapter she's warning her sword she's at a very vulnerable a very vulnerable situation right now and as far as jamie goes i mean whenever she's crying out for jamie jamie it just shows that he's become such a huge important redeeming jamie's honor has become yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, even it, like as she's sleeping, um, everything still hurts. Um, she asks for a maester. A girl responds, "We have no maester, only me." Brienne asks if she's Sansa. A man laughs and says he doesn't care if Brienne dies. Um, one less lion. She hears someone um, praying, but it's not to the seven. Um, as they continue this ride further, Bran is having more of these fever dreams. She dreams of Dick Crab, Vargo Hope with his pus 
ear. <laughs> and um, Renly is, there's a dream with Renly as well, and he's leading her horse. And of course, this is where we see a little bit of that reality blurring with her dreams, because she's probably, I'm guessing, seeing Gendry leading the horses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Bran is pulled down and put against a tree. A girl gives her a cup and tells her to drink, that it will help with the pain. Um, she says she most likely has a broken arm and cracked ribs. Brienne is terrified that Biter might still be alive, and she's, you know, trying to ask this girl, is he dead? Is he dead? Um, the girl tells her that Gendry shoved a spear through the back of his neck. Brienne tells the girl she's looking for a highborn maid of three and ten blue eyes and auburn hair. So even in yeah. this state... Single-minded. Yeah, yeah wow. like Eon was just saying, you know, despite the fact that Brienne is terribly ill, she's fevered and clearly terrified, she's still asking after Sansa. Like, it's the most important thing in the world to her. You know, she has to find her. She has to find Jamie's honour. Yeah. So the girl says she isn't her. Um, Brienne deduces that this is the older sister of Willow, the girl at the inn. Um, her name is Jane Heddle. So this is a relation to the innkeeper. Yes. Oh, Brienne asks her to take the ropes off of her because she's constantly talking about how sore they're making her wrists. They're cutting into her, making her bleed. Jane refuses and tells her it's not allowed. Gendry says that Brienne is to be is to stand before my lady to answer for her crimes. And Brienne asks Lady Stoneheart. Gen- uh, Gendry confirms. <clears throat> Brienne asks about Podrick and the others. She even asks about Dog. This broke my heart the first time I read it. In fact, I think this is going to sound horrible, but I spent most of the chapter going, is Dog okay? (laughs) That is horrible. (laughs) But no, I mean... Who cares about Brienne? What about Dog? Well, I cared about her too, but I kept thinking, oh, that poor poor, uh, Septon and the Dog, and I just, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, well, he was was set free. Yeah, so I'm presuming the Dog was sent with him, yeah, I hope. Hopefully dog made it out. Yeah. <laughs> Evil. Anyway. So I love though this continuing confusion over Sanders Helm, the hound yes. helm. Yeah. Because Brienne asks about dog and they assume she means the hound. Right. <laughs> and they're like, you killed the dog. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, she she passes out at this point after asking about the hound and the dog and she has more fever dreams. Um, this time she's fighting crab. Um, she calls for her sword and then these voices she can hear says, uh, the wench wants her sword back. Brian. Well, you know, it's of note there that who she's fighting is actually, actually Clarence crab who Dick crab told yes. her about the legendary guy with the, yeah. What was his legend again? He had the, the magic sword, magic sword. Yeah. That he only drew the three times. Heads. And the talking heads, yeah. She, I think the magic sword was actually so gallant in the story that Brienne told. That's right. Dick. Oh, that's right, but yeah. She does, she does actually call out, or she thinks about how she can't fight with him without her magic sword here. Um, you know, she says, so Jamie had given it to her. Um, and I think, was it Eon that was just saying, you know, she does call out for her sword in every single one of these dreams. And, you know, you can sort of see how it is a stand-in for Jamie. Um, you know, it's it's clearly an excellent blade, obviously, but it's also her one tangible link that she has to Jamie. Mm. Yeah. This this next dream she has really, I don't know, is the most poignant for me. She dreams that she's in a boat 
And um, from the riverbanks, she hears the trees whispering beauty and the reeds whisper freak. Yeah. Oh, God. I think, yes. I think she really wasn't a boat, though. They were crossing a river to mm-hmm. get to the cave. So. Yeah. You see, but again, this is just this is just another example of how well this is written. You don't you don't even know for sure what's real and what's a dream. Right. For me, it was Brienne. Like I had thoughts that maybe this was symbolizing like how close she was to death because you know you always hear about you know crossing the river and. Oh yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it made me sad <laughs> when she um, awakes again. She's um, being fed onion broth. Um, Brienne asks to speak to Gendry um, and she's informed that he's gone back to the inn a man tells Jane to let Brienne choke because she starts coughing up this onion broth and he says save the rope uh, he's in a yellow cloak and the hound's helm so this is Lem mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah the- you know what's interesting to me I don't know I'd have to go back and reread how Lem was sort of portrayed when he was with um, Arya and, and Hotpie and, and Gendry. But to me, it sort of strikes me now that he's uh, picked up the, the Hound's Helm, how he's sort of taken on more of the persona of, or the perceived persona of, of the Hound. He sort oh, of, yes. you know, previously it sort of seemed like he was, you know, he was kind of surly, but he was also kind of a non-entity. And now he seems to be more menacing. Um, yes, yes. And what I found find really interesting about Lim being in in the hound's helm is because if you look at Clegane's sigil, it's three hounds, three black hounds on a field of yellow. Mm. And what type of cloak, what color cloak is Lim's cloak? Yeah. Yellow. yeah. So there's been three of these, these hounds first, it's <clears throat> Cinder, then it's Rorge, and now it's Lim, lemon, lemon cloak. So I'm wondering if he might be the final hound. Who knows? Yeah. Interesting. You're probably going to be right as you usually are, Eon. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> usually get these things right. <clears throat> so, um, Brienne freaks out a little bit when she sees Lem in this um, helm, um, and she says, "No, I killed you." Um, she's. She told him. To, I'm sorry, I'm messing up my notes. Fourteen. Yeah. Um, no, he's he's like, no, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> And then he says again about Milady wants to see you hanged. It's, it's funny how they're kind of slowly dropping throughout this chapter, you know, that there's a lady that she's being taken uh, to. Right. Yeah. And she's putting together, you know, that it's it's Stoneheart, Stoneheart. who she's heard about. Yeah. Uh, and they even mentioned the guest, right? You know, um, Brienne yeah. appeals to Jane saying, oh, you know, I, I ate at your table. You know, I've got guest, right? And then Jane replies, well, guest, right, doesn't mean as much as it used to. <laughs> Not since my lady came back from the wedding. <laughs> yeah, if you recall from last chapter, whenever they're sitting at the table and Hall looks over and sees that there's these new bloodstains on the floor. And yeah, and also a big, no, go ahead, Ian. Red, it, it's like, here's your sign. This place is not, this. they're not what they seem. <laughs> am I, am and I, we also had in the last chapter, you know, they came across all the hanging corpses with salt in their mouths, which also right. is presumably a, a response to what happened at the Red Wedding. Am I reading too much into the fact that the last chapter, Gendry didn't break bed? Do you think maybe there's still a little uh, bit, does he no. care? No, I don't uh, think he cares. You don't think he cares? I mean, I don't know how... How pervasive is guest right for all the various classes in Westeros? Is this something well, that It seems to be something that's sort of relatively strictly adhered to because the response to the Red Wedding did seem to be sort of shock right. and horror. No, 
I, I totally agree, but I, what I'm saying is like, okay, you've got lords and bannermen, those kinds of people. But Gendry is none, none of that. Oh, you mean among, amongst the small folk? Like, from like the lower echelons of society. Right. I mean, do they have it, is what I'm asking. I would imagine that they did, because, you know, in European society, in, in especially places where there was a really deeply entrenched, you know, this concept of guest right is, is not imagined by George. This is, this no, is based on history. And it and it did it did include the lower classes in those places. So I don't know. You kind of assume that it did. You know, I would just, no one's I would having just, trouble grasping how terrible it was. Right. Even the lowest classes. No, so I, maybe you're I not agree, but I I feel like Gendry probably wouldn't care one way or the other. To be honest, yeah, I think Gendry was just being a, a pissed off teenager. Yeah, <laughs> he's like pushing it's his hair back and. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, know. He's gone. He's gone to extra surly. I don't know if people remember how he was when we last saw him in Storm of Swords. I mean, he's always had a huge chip on his shoulder. <laughs> That's pretty much right. a hallmark of Gendry. But yeah, it's, it's kind of worse. like he's yeah, he's he's gotten worse for sure. Yeah, yeah he's he's turned a corner here. Yeah. So <clears throat> after this exchange, um, they throw a, a leather hood over Brienne's head and they continue on. Uh, she passes out on the horse again, and she has more dreams, this time of Evanfall Hall. She's 12, waiting for a young knight her father has arranged for her to meet. She's anxious and dreading it. Her father promises the man will have a rose for her. But it's a sword she wants. Oathkeeper, she thinks. Oh, God. You know, we've waited this whole book for this scene. Mm. Because she's been dropping hints about this Red Ronnet thing. Throughout yeah. the entire book, and you're waiting to finally get the entire story. You get bits and pieces of it. You're slowly getting it, but now you finally yeah. get to see the whole thing. And it's pretty uh. friggin' sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you know how they say that when you're about to die, your life flushes before your eyes. I feel yeah. like this is kind of what's happening here. And you see, oh god, you see just how much of Brian's life is painful memories and. Mm-hmm. The sadness is even, it's, it's compounded here because her memories are distorted by her fever. So they've been twisted into these terrifying nightmares that are based on all the horrific things that Brianna's experienced lately. So, you know, with her memories, we've also got the, you know, the dreams um, intermingling with what she experienced with the Bloody Mamas. So the attempted rapes, almost being killed, being maimed by Biter. It's such a dark mindset and you can only imagine how terrifying it must be for Brienne. Yeah, and intermingled with all of what she considers to be her failures as well because they're haunting exactly. her throughout it all. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it's just horrific. But the way yeah, that this what- is the way that this dream is told is just it's funny because it's almost a break from the terrible violence although there's a little bit of violence in it. It's mm-hmm. just this heartbreaking moment. She's 12 years old. Um, she's remembering yeah. herself at 12 and, and you can imagine how humiliating and scarring this moment would have been the way that she right. yeah. talks about it, how she's yeah. all dressed up. She's, she's got on clearly a special dress and she's waiting for her betrothed. And, you know, for a girl, this should be this moment, you know, that she's waited for her entire life. I mean, in Westeros for a noble woman, this is it. This, this is, is her is whole it. purpose is yeah. this marriage. Yeah, right. And, Exactly. And she knows, you can feel her dread of it, of, of him coming, and you know that she knows she's not pretty and that she's not what men want. She already knows that, even as a 12-year-old girl. And so she's waiting for him and she's concerned. And then he comes and just confirms all of her fears, right. takes his rose, and, you know, I think in reality he dropped it on the ground, but in her dream he's throwing it in her face and it just turns yeah. into a mess. She can't talk, she can't say what she was supposed to say, which is what happened. Yeah, well, they just, she, the description is the door opens, a knight enters, 
and uh, she attempts to greet him, but instead she spits out her own tongue onto the floor. Yeah. The night she bit it in half. Yeah. Right. To answer him. The and night. You know, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say what's overwhelmingly emphasized here too is that all Brienne wants right now is home. Despite all the the terror and the the horror of the actual memory, she talks about being back at Evanfall. She says, I was safe here. I was safe. And, you know, (laughs) she also then thinks about Jamie again. Again, we've got the whole home and Jamie situation. And, you know, what's foremost in Brienne's thoughts, in her fever dreams, is that she's failing Jamie. She's failing to find his honour. Uh, but it's a little bit different in this one because in this yep. we see Red Ronnet turn into Jamie. Oh my right. gosh, the so visual the of this romantic connotations as well. Yeah, someone read it. Does anybody have yeah. it open? Yeah, I've, I've got, um, I've got it. Yeah, uh, start with finally the doors opened. Or yeah, just read the damn thing. Okay, the whole thing. <laughs> yes, read it. Read it. Okay, okay. This time she dreamed she was home again at Evanfall. Through the tall arched windows of her Lord Father's Hall, she could see the sun just going down. I was safe here. I was safe. And I'm not sure if I skipped a bit here. I don't know if I have the whole thing. But anyway, she was dressed in a silk brocade, a quartered gown of blue and red decorated with golden suns and silver crescent moons. On another girl, it might have been a pretty gown, but not on her. She was 12, ungainly and uncomfortable, waiting to meet the young knight her father had arranged for her to marry, a boy six years her senior, sure to be famous, cha- famous champion one day. She dreaded his arrival. Her bosom was too small, her hands and feet too big. Her hair kept sticking up and there was a pimple nestled in the fold beside her nose. <laughs> he will bring a rose for you, her father promised her. But a rose was no good. A rose could not keep her safe. It was a sword she wanted. Oathkeeper, I have to find the girl. I have to find his honour. Finally, the doors opened and her betrothed strode into her father's hall. She tried to greet him as she had been instructed, only to have blood come pouring from her mouth. She had bitten her tongue off as she waited. She spat it at the young knight's feet and saw the disgust on his face. Brienne the beauty, he said in a mocking tone. I have seen sows more beautiful than you. He tossed the rose in her face. As he walked away, the griffins on his cloak rippled and blurred and changed to lions. Jamie, she wanted to cry. Jamie, come back for me. But her tongue lay on the floor by the rose, drowned in blood. Oh, God. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for that, I think. (laughs) Isn't this just like every adolescent girl's nightmare, though? I mean... Everything yeah. about this is they just even have the pimple. The pimple she has. Yeah, oh, it's sort of like a, a nice universal touch. humiliation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you know, the, the griffins on his cloak turned into lions, and he turns into Jamie. Yeah, Jamie walking away from her, and she's exactly. calling him. Back. She wants him so desperately throughout yeah. this entire chapter. I think, I think she's really anxious about being rejected by Jamie. Because yeah, clearly. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Okay, so after this lovely dream, she awakes in a cave. She's been stripped of her clothes and armor. Her arm is in a splint and her face is bandaged. She calls out and there's a man in there with her in faded robes. Of, there used to be red, now they're pink. Um, the man tells her that they feared that she might have died with how hot her fever burned. He tells her that Jane took care of her arm and face. Some of the flesh had to be cut away. He tells her, your face will not be pretty, I fear. And Brienne thinks it's never been pretty. 
and uh, she thinks of Sir Goodwin and how he told her every knight has battle scars. And like, I just, I really wish I knew more about Goodwin. He sounds like such a nice dude. It does. It's also um, pretty sad to think that initially she says, you know, oh, well, I've never been pretty. But then when um, Thoros, who it is, <laughs> tells her yeah. that uh, Bart had chewed off half her cheeks, she, it says she couldn't help but flinch. So even Brienne is concerned about looking even more unattractive. Mm. There's also, I mean, I think, I don't know if it was in the last podcast or not, or the one before, but I think Eon mentions, I mean, there's, there's not being attractive and there's, but you still may have a sense of femininity and Mm. this is gone. I mean, whatever those, like, I mean, she's sort of stripped of all of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a line between not being attractive and being, I guess, disfigured. I mean, she never like... She embraced, she had some sort of femininity. She, she, even whenever people would like say, are you a man or a woman? And she'd just take her helm off and toss her hair out and everything. And yeah, and now it's it's just her hair. Some of her hair has been yanked out. Part of her That's cheeks roots. gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to, you know, think about um, when you meet Pretty Maris. I think you first meet her in a dance, dance with dragons, but yeah. Um, who is a, a sellsword basically in Essos, and and she's a woman who's leading the life that Brienne is is headed toward, which is basically you know the life of a soldier, and and her life has gone as poorly as Brienne's probably would without a little bit of of almost divine interference from time to time, and that is that pretty Maris's face has been ruined, she's been raped, you know I think she was gang raped or something like oh. that, um, mm. and and you know she just has had a really wretched life and it, it shows physically and and. Brienne is finally getting a little bit of that. I mean, as much as we, as much as we are upset about how Brienne is treated, I mean, in many ways, she hasn't even had it as badly as she could have. If you think, right? No, I mean that's true. There are other examples. I mean, you go back in the legends; they talk about brave Danny Flint, who also, you know, tried to pursue a life Mm. where she was going to be. She disguised herself as a boy and went off to join the Night's Watch, and they raped and murdered her. You know, I mean. This is not an easy road she's on. No. Uh, so she asks um, She asks them why they've washed her wounds and set her arm if they only mean to hang her. Um, Thoros tells her that whatever she may have done in her life, she fought honorable and she, honorably and she earned those wounds well. Um, if not for her, those children at the end probably would have been corpses. Brienne asks what do you think it is that I've done? And she asks who he is. And he tells her that they were kingsmen, then a brotherhood. He doesn't know who they are anymore. The road is dark and the fires have not shown him what lies ahead. Brienne- can we stop? Can yeah. we stop for a minute a lot and go yeah. back? I, I love this, that even though Jane knows very well where they're taking Brienne and why um, she does go out of her way to try to save her because of what Brienne did for the yeah. kids at, at the inn. Yeah. And, I think it's just, you know, another one of those great moments where George really kind of latches onto this whole thing he's doing of, a, you know, like, there are no good people and bad people. There are just people and kind of, you know, everything he's trying to do by showing every side of, of, of the War of the Five Kings. I mean, this is just another example of that. Even though she and Jane are on opposite sides, Jane has recognized the humanity in Brienne and wanted to do something yeah. for her. I think it's kind of a beautiful moment, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Especially in a series where there are not a lot of those. Yeah, there really aren't. And I love that it's another woman who did it for her, too. I mean, everything about it's kind of great. It makes it hard, too, because in a way, when you're reading all of this, it feels like you're getting a little bit of hope, (laughs) you know? Yeah. 
well, Ugh. she thinks that. She's going, why have you dressed my wounds and uh, and everything? Yeah. But that, that's quickly dispelled when Thoris tells her. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we're doing it because, you know, you, uh, you kind of acted honorably to save those kids, but there's still bad shit that's about to go down. Right. Yeah. I loved this conversation, though, that she Me has with too. Thoros. It's brilliant. Yeah. It has some gorgeous lines. Oh, yeah. Um, like, they talk about... Brienne realises who Thoros is and then she says, you know, you you ride with Dondarrion, the Lightning Lord, and then uh, Thoros replies, lightning comes and goes and then is seen no more. Uh, so too with men. Lord Beric's fire has gone out of this world, I fear. A grimmer shadow leads us in his place, which, as Chicky was saying earlier, just more indication of what's, what's to come. Oh, and there's this line, I do not doubt that kindness... And mercy and forgiveness can still be found somewhere in these seven kingdoms, but do not look for them here. It's just yeah, yeah. It's this, funny how different whole... Thoros sounds at this point from from how he sounded but... when we saw him last in the Storm of Swords too. Like yeah, he has clearly you know, he's clearly much more uh, subdued. I mean, you have to That's... keep in mind Thoros was famous for being like a drinking buddy of Robert Baratheon. Yeah. <laughs> he's this big flamboyant guy, yeah. like the party and wench, and now oh, he's yeah. this. Yeah. There's kind of this um, theme running through these chapters of Brienne with the religion. And we see, I guess, the theme of men and and faith and how they interact with faith. Like we saw it with Septim Meribald, who, um, you know, was broken by war. He washed up on the shores of the Quiet Isle and then found his faith. And then we've got Thoros, who... As Chicky was saying, he initially didn't take his faith very seriously. He was mostly kind of into the drinking and the fighting. Um, And then I think after his friend Beric was brought back to life, he became a true believer, although I don't think he ever really stopped with the drinking and whatnot. Um, (laughs) And now, you know, after Beric forfeited his life to resurrect Catelyn, Thoros, you know, he is subdued. He seems to have lost his faith completely. Um, And it, it sort of raises a question of what if, you know, it shows... I guess by circumstance, how quickly your fate can change. Septim Meribald was lucky enough to wash up on the shores of the Quiet Isle, but then, you know, there are other people like Thoros who have endured, um, you know, some bad stuff and how they can, I guess, be led down a different path. Well, but in many yeah, ways, this conversation is just a culmination of what has been coming for Brienne, and that is this whole concept of yeah. the broken men and everything. And Absolutely. It's like, here she is at last at their mercy, you know, and she's in the thick of them, and, and she's seeing, you know, even though they're not all bad people, they're going to do a bad thing. <laughs> That's exactly right. Like it, it does actually. I think there is a line in there from Thoros about how war makes monsters of us all, which yeah. is, as you yeah. say, more riffing on the theme that war can turn all men into broken men, even the good ones. And I mean, yes, the Brotherhood were outlaws, and you could, but you could argue that they were doing, I guess, mostly good work before the war yeah. took its toll on them. Well, yeah, and- I always thought of them as. Um- like Robin Hood's married Robin men. Hood, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you know, robbing from the rich to take care of the poor and everything. Acting but... for the greater good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think Calm is, oh, sorry. I think Calm is trying no, no. to jump in. No, no, Ian's right. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> it's just, ta- they've taken a, a totally darker turn since they've switched leaders now. Yeah, and I like yeah. what um, Common was saying. Oh, I like how, what Common was saying about you know the the writing because I think I do. I think George actually does some of his best writing in Brienne's chapters. You know, he's sort of given the opportunity to to explore morality and circumstance and the darker side of human nature, and it it really suits him. I really there are some really really good lines in here. I think. 
The other thing that I think may have happened to the Brotherhood, I mean, because it's happening all over the, the, all throughout the kingdoms, is that, you know, decency and kindness and all those things, there are a lot of people who are really free with that, who are like that, who are generous. And then, you know, as they're beaten down and killed and raped, I mean, all that stuff just. That, exactly. That's like it takes a sacrifice. Toll. You, you oh, yeah. can't afford to be generous because you can't afford to be decent because everyone you try to do that to just turns around and, you know, tries to kill you. And I think those guys, the deprivation, the despair, what they were doing, yeah. what they were seeing, that's yeah. all and weren't it. You look at you look at Lem, because we find out that Lem's lost his, his wife and his daughter. All these men have probably taken big losses. And I think it gets to the point in war that you just do what you've got to do to survive. Right. Well, and again, these guys, most of them are out for vengeance. There is a revenge, right. vengeance aspect to Absolutely. what they're after. George is also trying to illustrate how 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 that can take a really dark turn. And right. well, yeah, and that's culminated with Stoneheart, obviously. Yeah, yeah and th- and that's kind of what you're seeing here. Right. And there's a dis- there's a a theme throughout the books about justice. Like characters who look for justice, that does not end well for them. If you're looking for justice, you've come to the wrong place. Yeah, pretty much. So, in the cave still, uh, Thoris uh, leaves to get Brienne some food. Um, While he's gone, she's looking for a weapon. She only finds rocks and decides against it and lets the rock drop. Thoris returns with stew, bread, and cheese. There is no more milk or honey. Um, It's pretty shitty food, (laughs) but Brienne thinks she's never eaten anything so good. She's hungry. Brienne asks, asks about her companions. Uh, Maribald, we learn, was set free to go on his way. The others um, are here with her, awaiting judgment. Brienne asks him to take pity on Podrick as he's only a boy. He tell, Oh, and then here's the line where he tells her, Do not look for forgiveness when men live like rats in the dark beneath the earth. They soon run out of pity as they do milk and honey. So again, some great lines from Thoros. Yeah, and we hear that Pod's been bragging about killing guys in battle, too. Yeah, <laughs> it's Pod. Yeah. I've got to say, out of everything that happens in this chapter, the stuff with Pod <laughs> has got to be some of the worst for me. I had such a visceral reaction to oh. to Pod and Brienne and their relationship. Uh, so they uh, carry on a little bit with conversation, and then we hear men coming, and he tells her, you know, their time together is done. There's four men in total. One of them is Lem in the yellow cloak. Um, we get a whole bit about how bad the rep of the helm is. Uh, a lot. It's probably important to note that um, she asks Thoros um, a question. She says, um, uh, he tells her that Our Lady sends for you, that, that Stoneheart is back. And Brienne says, you told me she had gone to Fair Market. There are a couple of things to note about that moment. Yeah. The first is... Um, we don't ever see Thoros of Mira <laughs> tell Brienne that Catelyn went to Fair Market. Um, there's some debate about oh. whether this is an error in the chapter or if it's intentional, as though there was a conversation we didn't see. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of a running theory, and we've talked about this a little bit before, about um, the Russian release of A Feast for Crows, where there was only there were only seven chapters um, in A Feast for Crows for Brienne and not eight. And her last two chapters were kind of combined and, and very greatly changed. Um, and I think in those, there is a little bit of discussion about the fact that, that Stoneheart had gone to Fair Market. And Fair Market is worth noting because that'll come up in Jamie's next mm-hmm. chapter. But yeah, um, yeah it's, it's good to note that, 
that that there is a little bit being withheld here and that there might be even more than than we know that's going on. There's a lot to read between the lines. So I would encourage anybody. I know a lot of people haven't actually read the books but are following along with the podcast. I would just say if you're wondering going forward or if you're thinking about just picking up Winds of Winter when it comes out, I would definitely read Jamie and Brand's last couple chapters of A Feast for Crows before you jump on because I think there might be massive clues in here as to what's going to happen next. Yeah, That's awesome. Thank you. Um, so we get this whole bit of, about how bad the rep of the helm is of, of, of the hound and um, Thoros is kind of, you know, lamenting that Lem is, you know, wearing this hel- uh, helmet. Um, so Lem pretty much just dismisses Thoros's concerns and he tells the others to bring the whore. She doesn't fight the men as they drag her to another area area of the cave. She's brought to a place with other men, women, and children. Jane Heddle is there as well. A woman in a gray cloak sits holding a brown bronze circlet. And you know yes. what that is? Yes. Rob's crown. Which was last seen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Come in on. In the hands of the queen of whores The queen or of whores, yeah. And that fray guy who... Who's I presume toast? Ryman Frey's Ryman Frey's yeah. horror had it last. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> so um, they announce her as she comes in as the Kingslayer's whore, and Brian asks, "Why would you call me that?" He answers, "If we had a silver for every time you said his name, I'd be as rich as your friends, the Lannisters." <laughs> There is a stink of lion about you. (laughs) Oh, God, I love that line so much. Yeah, I know. I love her kind of stuttering response. Like, no, that was only, you don't get it. You don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing going on between us, you guys. Come on. She's about to be killed, but she's still concerned about propriety. (laughs) So uh, Oathkeeper is placed before Stoneheart, as is the parchment from Toman. Um, again, Brienne is attempting to defend herself throughout all of this. She says, The sword was given to me for a good purpose. Sir Jamie swore an oath to Catelyn Stark. One of the men cuts her off before his, um, before his friends cut her throat, meaning Catelyn. We all know the Kingslayer and his oaths. Brienne realizes at this point that it's hopeless, but she continues and... Um, by the t- and she tells them, you know, by the time that we reach King's Landing, her daughters were gone, and Jamie um, sent her to find Sansa to protect her and keep her safe. Hyle and Pod are brought in at this point and uh, used as evidence against her. As you mentioned, Pod's been bragging about being Tyrion's squire, and Hyle ha- happens to be one of Tarly's men. Um, Hyle's face has been beaten so bad he's almost unrecognizable. Brienne tells Stoneheart, whatever um, treachery you think I may have done, my lady, Podrick and Sir Hyle were no part of it. Oh, Brienne. Mm -hmm. Oh, can I just say, when Hyle and Pod are brought in, Pod says, there's a line, Sir, the boy said miserably when he saw Brienne. My lady, I mean, sorry. It's just like, oh, God, it just brings home. (laughs) Yeah, even now, in this terrifying, life-threatening situation, all Pod can do is apologize for calling Brienne Sir, and it, that's the part that broke me. <laughs> Seriously, like yeah. I, had, I had a really rough time rereading this chapter, and I think we all did. Um, it's really because when we're doing these podcasts, you sort of have to really get into the mind of, of the point of view character. So to get into the mind of Brienne in this chapter, it's really it takes its emotional toll because. It does. 
oh, it's, it was just a, it was just a really mm. rough chapter. But then, you know, we've got Pod come in and he's just this little kid. Um, but even if they do and they have this whole thing with Pod, it won't be as effective for me because yeah, you know, Brian, he's not a little boy. <laughs> yeah, Brian choosing boy. yeah Pod um, over Jamie. I don't know. It, oh, it no, just, he's a pretty likable guy, though, the guy that's playing. He, he is a likable <laughs> guy, but, you know. It's, yeah, it's, it's not the same. Kid. I hear you. Yeah, and he's so brave yeah. and he's so loyal to Brienne. Uh, so, well, sir. Oh, go ahead, Kama. Sorry, I was going to say, I mean, that's the other thing. I think I think when a lot of people read these or watch the show, because especially with the show because the actors are typically older, you forget how old these characters are supposed to be. Yeah. Like, Pod is little. He is not, you know, well, he's definitely yeah, not a 17 year old, but he's what, like Pod 9 is, or 10 or something? He's or 12. 10 or 11. He's 12. He's 12. Yeah, right. Brienne's yeah. still young. Yeah. Brienne's I mean, probably 19, yeah. Yeah, so she's a young young woman, really, still as well. Mm. That's all I had to say, sorry. <clears throat> oh, that's so, great. And so I love how throughout this, you know, she, what is it she says? She's like, they're never going to believe me, but she just keeps trying to argue back at the same, you know, yeah. regardless. Yeah, but who can. Who can blame them for not? I mean, it's a pretty far-fetched story that she's touting when you think about it. I mean, she's yeah, friend right. comes along with a priceless Lannister sword, bearing a letter with Tom and Seal, ostensibly on a quest that directly opposes Lannister family interests, specifically Cersei's interests, who is someone whom Jamie is meant to love most in this world. I mean, you can't really blame them for for not believing right. her. But yeah, I love that she's she continues to try. And the hard part about and- the hard part about this whole situation is if this was Catelyn still, maybe she would have because she knows oh, yeah. Brienne's character. But this isn't Catelyn we're dealing with no. anymore. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, and, you know, keep in mind, and it, it, there are hints here, but it's clear that they've been they know about Brienne. They know she's wandering around. You know, it's not by yeah. chance that they happen to get a hold of her. Mm-hmm. And they they have already decided that she's guilty of something that's Absolutely. important to keep in mind. And that's something she's picking up as well. Yep. Yeah. She knows it's hopeless, but she'll try anyway. So Sir Hyle tells Brienne, you should have wed me. Now I fear you'll <laughs> die a maid and me a poor man. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, I kind of appreciate Hyle trying to provide a little bit of levity. I mean, I don't know if that, that was his intention, but it, it did help slightly when reading this chapter. It did give me a, a tiny bit of a giggle. I have to bit say. of a joker to the end. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Brienne pleads again to Stoneheart to let them go. Um, She doesn't answer. Uh, She studies the sword, the parchment, the crown before her. And um, she brings her hand to her throat. And I just love the description of her voice. It's this like Mm -hmm. croaky death rattle noise. And you can't, she can't understand what she's saying. Um, One of the men um, that's with her with a Northern accent interprets for her. And um, she wants to know the name of the sword. Um, anyone have any idea who this northern man is that's with him? Yeah, it's Harwin. Harwin. He was yeah. one of um, the Stark men before. I think um, he was he was one of the guards that um, Ned sent with Beric to arrest uh, the mountain, I think, in the Riverlands. Is that yes. right? Mm-hmm. And he's Arya... also... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that he's he's also the one that begged Doris of Mir to revive her whenever they found yes, her. Yes, when they found her, yeah. And he's, um, when Arya is captured by the Brotherhood, she recognizes him. He used to lead her pony out, and she... Right. And I think she, I remember her, she, like, 
basically begs him to, I don't know, let her go or take her wherever. And he, he says, you know, I used to be your father's man and now, well, he was barracks and now I guess he's Stonehearts. Right. Yeah. But he's, he starts, he's mentioned throughout the, all the books. He's one of those yeah. small yeah. characters. And he actually plays a bigger role in the, in the, the, the Russian version too. Harwin does. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, really? I can't remember what the thing is. He knows something or something. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so, <clears throat> Brienne answers that the sword's name is Oathkeeper. Um, Stoneheart hisses through her fingers, and again, her words are interpreted by the Northman Harwin. Um, no, call it Oathbreaker, made for treachery and murder. She names <laughs> it false friend mm-hmm. like you. And, like, that we know what a- Brienne has gone through to, like, keep her know, own, yeah. like, how important it is to her. <laughs> like, ah! I was yeah. just going to say, that must be a dagger to the heart for Brienne. Yes, because, not only that, said. but she's also feeling, obviously, that guilt about not being able to protect Catelyn. Yes. So, can I only imagine. She was totally broken whenever she found out about Catelyn's death. She was but, destroyed. I remember yes. Jamie saying it was like trying to talk to, to one who was dead or whatever. She really was devastated by Catelyn's death. Hmm. So the man asks if Brienne forgot she swore her service to her. Brienne thinks of Catelyn and says, cannot be, she's dead. Uh, Jane Heddle mutters, death and guest rights don't mean much anymore. Lady Stoneheart lowers her hood and the description is amazing. Her hair is brittle, white as bone, her brow green and gray, spotted with brown plumes of decay. The flesh clings in ragged strips. Some of the rips are crusted with blood, but others gape over to reveal her skull. Yeah. <laughs> and then Brienne's reaction is is heartbreaking as well. You know, she she says um, her face was so strong and handsome, her skin so smooth and soft. And then she says, Lady Catelyn? And then it says, tears filled her eyes. They said that you were dead. Uh, why? Uh, Thoris of Mir tells her the phrase slashed her throat from ear to ear. When they found her, she was three days dead. And as uh, Eon mentioned, that Harwin begged Thoros to give her the kiss of life, but he refused. Beric did it instead, and then he died, and she rose. Brienne wonders if she's still dreaming. She says, I never betrayed her. I swear by the seven. I swear it by my sword. Stoneheart pinches her neck again and says she must prove her faith keep her oath Brienne asks what do you want of me she wants Jamie Lannister Jamie the name was a knife twisting in her belly you guys yeah that line mine too (laughs) whole chapter is a knife twisting in my belly (laughs) you know and and like Chicky said it's he has this way with the whole vengeance thing. It's just when I can remember, I can clearly remember in a storm of swords epilogue and reading that epilogue, whenever lady Stoneheart appears and hangs that fray, I can remember cheering about it because I was wanting vengeance. And uh, George R. R. Martin really shows that vengeance can actually be, be a scary thing. Yeah. Like, yeah he gives you what he gives you what you want, but then he tells you how bad it is. Yes. Yes. What yes. You want. He makes I you realize how cool. terrible it is. And the guy they kill in the epilogue is Walda's father, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Who is <laughs> from true. all description, it sounds like he's this like 
I mean, and then and he's not anybody important or significant. And you know what? It's that's what happens with vengeance. They don't care. They there's yeah. no there's no empathy. There's no sympathy. It's all gone. All they care about is the vengeance. Yeah, yeah that's the thing with that's the thing with Cutlin's story, isn't it? I mean, you think as Ian was saying, you know, the Red Wedding was such a tragedy, and you feel absolutely awful and you want them yeah. to get their vengeance yeah, on. Yeah, of course. But, you know, Tatlin's story, it would have been tragic if it had ended at the, the Red Wedding, but it's even more tragic now to see what she's become, this sort of twisted, vengeful shell of herself. And yet yeah. you've got to think there's a part of, a tiny part of her in there. I mean, that bit, there's a description uh, as she's fingering the crown. Right. That was Rob's crown that they put, I mean, oh man, it just, the whole thing just breaks my heart. Yeah, that was uh, that was a thing that I noted as well when I was reading through. You wonder, as she's sort of sitting there looking at the crown, is she feeling anything? How is much she feeling loss or is she just right. feeling vengeance? I don't know. That's the question. How much of her remains in that this yeah. thing that she's become? Uh, Brienne attempts to defend Jamie. She swears he's a changed man that he has. I love how she's stuttering again over this. She's yeah. like she trying to come up with. Yeah, she's I, like, no, just, no, you don't understand. It's so important to her, isn't it? Um, and she does actually call, she then remembers back to her dream. Remember when she's she's waiting for Red Ronnet and how she'd bitten off her tongue, she couldn't speak? And that's what's happening to her now. She's stuttering. She's finding it hard to find the words. Right. Well, it's important to note that she remembers the dream where she was waiting for the boy she was supposed to marry. Absolutely. She really can't speak those the terminology romantic feelings of it. for Jamie, can't well, she? Well, I really pretty much, I think reason that that it is that dream the red ronnet dream that happens in this chapter and then as 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 this is happening and and catlin is is saying i want you to kill jamie you know that's what i want from you that's how you prove that you're still loyal um and and brienne is is saying no no you don't understand jamie saved me he's not the man that he was um i swear to you he's not he's the man i love (laughs) well yeah well that's it though you know and 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 Catelyn says, no, you have to choose either the sword or the noose. She says, the sword or the noose. Either you kill Jamie or or we hang you. And Brienne then immediately thinks of this dream where she was waiting for, and the terminology is the boy she was supposed to marry, um, and that she'd bitten off her own tongue. And she says she won't make the choice. Like she's she's not gonna say that thing. And it's it's I think in many ways, I think this is the moment where she realizes what Jamie means to her. I think that's the reason. Yeah, that it's the boy that she was to marry, and that that's the terminology that George uses. I think well, I you know this is yeah. this is her crisis. This is what she's faced with. She has to that's choose. It. It's not it's not the sword or the noose. It's really choosing between, I guess, her her vow and the man that she loves. Right, and yeah. she says, "No, I will not make that choice." And then immediately, it's yeah. followed by, "Hang them." They yeah. take Brienne, Heil, and Pod outside. Brienne is surprised it's morning. She's taken to a willow tree, Heil and Pod to elms. Nooses are put around their necks. Heil is shouting, he'll kill Jamie. <laughs> that part always made me laugh. He would. He would. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He's a survivor, okay? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'd probably, if I was in Heil's position, I'd be screaming that out as well. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Heil, for a little bit of a chuckle in this bleak, yes. bleak chapter. <laughs> so, Brienne pleads for Podrick's life. Uh, she's attempting to use sapphires as a ransom, the same I way Jamie that. had she's, done for as, her. I was going to say, as I think we talked about this last week as well, she's learned some stuff from Jamie. She's trying his yeah. trick here. 
It didn't work, though. The man <laughs> asks her if her father can bring back his wife and daughter. If not, the boy can rot beside her. The well, it's important that she's saying, you know, go ahead and kill me. Please just don't kill Podrick. Send him back to Tarth with my bones. Like, it's like, yes. take me instead. Just don't right. kill the kid. That's the thing. Like, you need to... You need to see that Brienne is absolutely willing to die to protect right. Jamie here. Even, you know, with Catelyn, the woman that she had sworn lifelong service to and, and whose death destroyed her right there in front of her, she is so willing to die for Jamie. You know, she, even, yeah. she, she even thinks, um, you know, if this is another dream, it's time for me to awaken. But if this is real, it's time for me to die. She has accepted it. She's, mm-hmm. she's going to die for the man she loves until... She says Pod. Yes, and I honestly think that if Podrick wasn't in the picture, this would have been the absolute ending of Brienne. Absolutely agree. If it was her and Hiles, she would be gone. But, I mean, and whenever you were saying how Podrick really gets to you, that last paragraph always gets to me. Because, I mean, you see, like... You see the part where Podrick never lifted his eyes, not even when his feet were jerked up off the ground. All she could yep. see was Podrick, the noose around his thin neck, his legs twitching. Pod was kicking and choking and dying. And it, it really illustrates that even faced with certain death, she's not callous. And no. she's she's wanting to, to save Podrick right there. Well, the amazing thing is most people, you know, when they were faced with certain death, like it's staring them in the face, most people get really selfish in those moments. Yeah, but right, not Brienne. No, no, that's right. They start to bargain, I think, but Brienne well, just accepts it. I'll kill Jamie, as we just said. <laughs> right well, there. That's right. You know, well, I mean, Kyle has no, Kyle has no reason to. He's always been selfish. He doesn't have this emotional connection. He's just this is some guy. Yeah, sure, I'll go kill him. You know? yeah. <laughs> so as Brienne's watching, uh, young Pod getting strung up, she opens her mouth and screams. A word. Well, it's important to note that she is simultaneously being yeah. strung up. They, yes. The the noose is tightening around her neck. Yeah. She's sucking in air. Nothing has ever hurt so much. She's being strangled. She's being strangled, but it's Pod she's worried about. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's amazing in itself that she's able to scream a word while being hung. Yeah. It's probably that thick neck of hers, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know the, the word is sword, like Pretty 99% sure that that's the Oh, one. should we no, talk we know about that? You know, people. George, yeah. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Do you want me to do it? Yep. Yeah, George, yeah. At, George at a convention a couple of years ago, um, he was asked a question and said, you know, what, what word did Brian scream? And he asked the audience, he said, you know, what word do you guys think it was? And people in the audience were throwing out, you know, Jamie and Sansa. <laughs> Sansa, Arya. Yeah. And um, George said no. And then someone in the audience said sword. And George said yes, the, the word was sword. I mean, he, he did very clearly set it up in the chapter that sword or news right. was the question. It's really unusual for George to confirm something like this. Yeah. This is a pretty big yeah. cliffhanger. Um, you know, this he did confirm it after Dance was out. I think he thought people would get it when they saw that Brand was alive, well, what the word was. But I, I will say, when I, I read it, I read the thing, I was like, what, what the hell? What word? And then I read the thing, the, the what he had said at the convention, and I went, oh, okay. And then I'm rereading, and I'm going, well, of course that's the word she said. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Catelyn yeah. basically says sword or noose. Yeah, she has two so, options. And only, only noose, one of them is going to... 
we wouldn't yeah, see wanted... Brienne in dance. So, you know, it kind of had to be. I don't know why. It is I there, know. yeah. I think that's why he confirmed it. He was annoyed that nobody understood because he <laughs> thought he made it clear. <laughs> I, so that's usually why he confirms things is because he's annoyed. <laughs> uh, of course that's yes. what it is. <laughs> so do you think that there's any way possible that Brienne could kill Jamie or would kill Jamie? I don't think she's going to be able to. I don't think she will either. No. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know no. how. It's I've heard, you know, I've heard the theories about how she might bring Jamie back, and then um, Stoneheart will, you know, elect to have a, a trial by combat, and then uh, have Brienne as her champion to fight Jamie. Uh, which yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a possibility, I guess. I'd like. I like to think that Brienne actually has some sort of plan, another sort of plan. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like Stoneheart wouldn't really be into that kind of circus anymore. Yeah, She's pretty clear with her. I don't think so. Especially whenever have. she was alive as Catelyn, she really hated the whole thing with Liza doing the trial by combat with Tyrion. Yeah, but she's not cut anymore. Is she no, but I no, mean, she's not. But they're not really playing by rules right now in the trial yeah. by seven. The trial yeah. by by combat is really something that the the people of you know the faith. The, se- the faith of the seven really practice. Yeah, look, I agree with you. I'm just, it's not my theory. I, I agree. I think if she brought Jamie back, I think Jamie would be dead immediately. Yeah. Well, plus, she's not in any very great condition, too, right now, either. Yeah. I, uh, the only thing, I don't know what's going to happen because, you know, with this book, I remember reading it for the first time, convinced, oh, yeah, they're going to, oh, yeah, they're totally going to reunite. And look, none of these people are, yeah. yeah that hasn't happened, right? So what I expect is probably not in the cards. And the only other thing I would say is they've already demonstrated they don't really care much about guest right or justice or anything. So I don't know why they'd be like, yeah, let's do a trial by combat. I just can't. can't Well, we haven't haven't seen a trial by combat since Lady Stoneheart was in charge. Although, to be fair, we've only seen two of these sort of trials. The only, I think there is a a mild amount of credence to the idea of of Jamie being tried, um, particularly because number one, they brought Brienne all the way to Stoneheart. They didn't just kill her at the end. They didn't, they didn't hang her like they, they hanged all those other guys. They, they wanted to get her in front of Stoneheart and have this little trial. And if you think about it, Merritt Frey kind of had a little bit of a trial as well. He He had an opportunity to to save himself that he didn't realize he had. If he'd seen Arya, he might've been able to save himself. Um, so, you know, who knows? There there could be some sort of trial. I mean, who knows if she's she's going to entertain this whole trial by combat thing. I, you know, there there are a lot of theories about what's going on with the Brotherhood without banners. Like, particularly, Thoris sounds very disenchanted. Mm-hmm. Um, God, doesn't oh, doesn't yeah. Uh, yeah, he's not swallowing the party line anymore. Yeah, and, you know, it's an interesting thing for George to cram into this chapter to make sure that that was in there. You see that Jane was, was kind of on Brienne's side, yeah. and you kind of assume that Renly was because yeah. he saved her life. Gendering. Which he didn't need to do. You know, not Renly. Sorry, not Renly. Really. <laughs> I keep gone. doing that. I mean, you mean Renly's sexy ghost. <laughs> oh God, I would really Renly's like to know what's... Ghost. I'd really like to know where Angai and, um, what's it, Ned Dane is Who? right now. Yeah. Ang- yeah uh, the other Ned Dane. Yeah, yeah, we don't know. how you say the, the archer dude. Yeah. Um, but Ned Dane and... Um, the other thing I'm wondering is, um, what's his name? The the minstrel dude, um, Tom Seven Streams. Tom, or whatever. We know where he has, is. Yeah. We do. You know yeah. he's at River Run. Uh huh. Yeah. Right, but yeah. does he make his way 
back. I mean, yeah, it's like I've always wondered if there's been a schism with the Brotherhood with without banners. If there's been some yeah. of them that were really faithful to Dondarian, if they've kind of run off and they're kind of they're doing their own thing while the other part of the brotherhood without banners is there are a few things to note here one is that we we get very few names um in brienne's chapter of of who's with the brotherhood it's mostly just lem um and thoros do we even get any other names besides jane and gendry i don't think we do we we just infer that it's harlan i mean surely surely many of those men would be unhappy being led by stoneheart so there's like an original recipe group you're saying and then there's i don't know because you know there's evidence that there are several bands of outlaws they're covering a lot of space if you're listening throughout Mm -hmm. feast they're they're covering a lot of territory so and, you know, just the way that, that Lady Stoneheart is coming back to home base from Fair Market, you get the impression that they're kind of going out on little sorties and stuff and coming back to the cave. So it's really difficult. There are several several prominent members of the Brotherhood Without Banners who don't show up in this chapter, yeah, and we really right. don't know where they are or wh- where they stand. So, or if they're yeah. even alive. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Yep. But, you know, it's interesting that George manages to cram in this thing about some perhaps, you know, seeds of discontent within the Brotherhood he manages to cram into this chapter. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah, and not I think it, for no I reason. I think it probably is important because you see how much time he actually dedicated to it in this chapter with the whole Thoros and Brienne conversation. He really does drive the point home. And I don't think it was a throwaway just to continue on no, with I the think broken you're right. man theme. It yeah. certainly didn't feel that way to me either. Oh. Yeah, and we have no idea where it's going. I mean, you know, every time yeah. you get a really good working theory, you know, you kind of then walk through it. The yeah, only thing that's right. fairly certain is we're pretty sure that they're alive. We're probably not going to open Winds of Winter to find that they're already dead, and we just never we're know pretty what happened sure to them. That <laughs> I don't Brienne, think that's going to happen. We're pretty sure now that Brienne is not un Portuguese. Uh, yeah, we could talk about the fact that, yeah, I was in <laughs> on pins and needles thinking she probably was dead until we got dance, and then I thought she was undead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brienne. Oh. Zombie Brienne. Those were no. bad times. Bad times for you. Oh, I think that's going to bring us to the end for the discussion. Oh, do we have thank yous this week? We do. <laughs> All right. From Joy, Joy is Foley. She says, thank you for another fantastic podcast. Oh, I have so many feels right now. I love, love, love the discussion about Brienne's thoughts of Jamie perhaps comforting her should she weep oh my heart my heart was fluttering the whole time and my co-workers kept giving me looks because i kept laughing and gasping Brian killing Rorge and whispering sapphires <laughs> so badass and then Brian and biter it was hard enough reading that part but then to listen to it oh my poor baby and i agree with yd that jamie will be in Brian. Be in Brienne soon. (laughs) (laughs) Although my husband disagrees with me, yes, we are still married after that enlightening discussion. I don't know, Jess. I think those are grounds for divorce. Yeah. (laughs) I punched my husband once or twice over insulting Brienne. Yeah. (laughs) I slapped mine. And she says, and like Eon, I had a dream recently about Jamie and Brienne making out. I think it was the result of that appreciation week i don't remember the whole thing unfortunately but they were inside and i believe they were arguing about something and then all of a sudden jamie kisses brienne and he pushes her against a wall it was hot i was distracted by something else in my dream but i kept trying to get back to them so i could continue watching them make it 
about and maybe something more. Which I guess speaks to me being a perv and my repressed voyeuristic tendencies. <laughs> I love that everyone's having Jamie Brynn dreams. And I, just, I should say, I've just had that one. I can't mention JB Appreciation Week. We had this recent um, thing on Tumblr where we had a week to. Um, I guess <laughs> devote our love to Jamie and Brienne and, and create um, fanfic and, and fan art and that sort of thing. And it went absolutely wonderfully. We had so much, so much input. It was really, really good. I call that a Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, we got Alias SD6. She says, another great podcast. I haven't gone that far into the books yet, but I thought Brienne whispering Sapphire fires to Rorch as she killed him was cool and then when you guys were discussing Brienne's thoughts when she was fighting Biter my heart broke and lol at Eon's dream I had to muffle my laughter because I was laughing at work (laughs) (laughs) Palma do you want me to read your comment? (laughs) Sure! Palma read it No I don't know it (laughs) She says another great episode I love it when Gaul and Gaul and Subterfuge guests she has such a great voice, great insights, although sadly lacking in horse metaphors and Randall Tarley defense. By the way, what's up, gay people? Why aren't you reviewing this great show? Oh, God. <laughs> Come on, you should have said something about the UK. I did. That was what the comment was. Oh, sorry. Ian popped out. My back. Okay. <laughs> All right, Gollin Subterfuge says, I just wanted to drop you all a note to thank you for letting me guest on the podcast again. I totally got tongue-tied for much of the show because I was so embarrassed by the fact that I really do think the only thing Brienne still thought she had to do was make out with Jamie. Sansa, who? <laughs> anyway, as we always... We finally got it out of her. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love you, Gyle. She had to really prod to get that out of her. <laughs> She says, anyways, as always, you ladies all me with your technical skills and your ability to compelling, compellingly comment on these chapters. Um, we had to thank you, Guile. And we loved having you, as always. Yeah, as always. Always love having GS. We have another one from F7. And she says, after listening to the newest episode, Brienne 7, I was basically a wreck. That <laughs> chapter in your discussion reminded me how of how much I love Brienne as a character. I have no idea what got me so emotional, but in the end, I was like, Brienne, for when, fuck everything else, she must live. I can't make any <laughs> excuse if you kill her off, G- GRM. I'm right there with you, baby. Right she went to that you. angry place yes. like I did. <laughs> That's how I handle my grief. <laughs> Anger. She says, thank you so much for doing the podcast, ladies. I will listen to other episodes as well. Hugs. Good luck with this one, F7. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, and, F7. See, I think this is our last one. It's it's from Via14, LOL. And she says, I should have had my tissues ready when I was listening to this podcast. It was so hard to listen to because I knew what was going to happen. Poor Brienne, her face. Why, G.R.R. Martin? Why? <laughs> but you guys did a great job and had humor in just the right places. Love the masha, masha, masha bit. <laughs> this chapter had one of my favorite lines, too. It was being common-born that is dangerous when the great lords play their Game of Thrones. Such yeah. a great line, and it can even be used to describe the current state of the world, which is just sad. Mm. 
Also love the response to the kiss question. They are going to kiss in season five. I can feel it in my bones. They <laughs> changed so much in the show already. I don't see it being a problem to add this in, please. And P.S. I have a small favor to ask. Tuesday is my birthday, and I was wondering if you guys could wish me a happy birthday in your favorite oh, Peter no. Baelish voices. I forgot <laughs> about this. Oh, no. I'm your favorite oh, no. proclaimed number one Trini fan, oh, Vaya God. 14 oh, LOL. Well, how can we say no to Vaya? Oh, <laughs> we can't. No, we can't. Who wants to go first? <laughs> oh, okay. So, happy birthday. Vaya 14 LOL. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we're all wishing happy birthday in Littlefinger's voice. Yes. Okay. I'll go. Happy birthday, Vaya. I'll go next. Happy okay, birthday, Vaya. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Happy, happy birthday. <laughs> Vaya. I think Littlefinger got kicked in the nads there at the end. Good, good. It started off as Sean Connery and then he got kicked in the nads. I think it's like, good. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, okay, okay. I'm really bad at impression. Happy birthday. Oh my god, thank you. That was a gift. That was a present because. Oh, we, need, we needed oh, that. Thank you so much. I feel so, so much better. I feel we just all represented Aiden Gillen's voice there because that man. <laughs> He's all over the place. About 10 more, 10 more people to ask. Yeah, just to clarify, we just picked different episodes that he was in and did that version. <laughs> Pirate little finger. <laughs> Happy oh, birthday, there, matey. <laughs> Barb, your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is silly. Happy birthday, we love Happy you. Birthday. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Thank you. I hope you have a really excellent day. So that brings us to the end. Thank you guys so much. Um, if anybody else wants to send us a note, you can at close the door and at gmail.com. You can find us at Tumblr at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. We're also active on the jamiebrian.com message boards. Thanks, ladies. Thanks for podcasting. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, yeah. Good night. Yeah, thanks, Calm. Thank you, Calm. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye, guys. Good night. Good night.